thank you for listening to the weekly message at First Baptist Church in Bushland, Texas. Hey, you got a bulletin on the back is the outline of the message, and uh, we are in the series, Not a Fan, continuing our way through that, and understand that I, I realize these messages are not real easy uh, to, to receive. They're not real easy to study either, understand, and, um, but they're great messages because they're packed full of just meat and potatoes, boy. And you will be stronger on the other side, I promise you. And so today, I want to, um, Brett, if you'll pop up those slides, I want to just do a little review because we haven't done that in a while. Um, remember our definition of the fan. This is the fan, okay? An enthusiastic admirer, okay? An enthusiastic admirer. We're, that's the definition of the fan. And you see it in the church today. As much as anything. So let's look at the follower. This is what we're after. This is what we want to be. Okay? Look at Luke 9.23 in your Bible. I'll read it just in case uh, if you want to go there. Uh, this is the definition of the follower. Then he said to them all, all, okay, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So I want to cover those two things very, very quickly because... I don't want to get too far away from those definitions as we jump into this stuff. Remember the definition of the fan and remember the definition of the follower. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to move from being a fan of Jesus to being a follower of Jesus. And my friends, there's a drastic difference in the two, okay? A drastic difference in the two. Now, I want you to go to your word. Go to Luke 14. Luke 14. And, and let me say something to you. Those chairs that you have, uh, that you're sitting in, they don't have a seat belt. But if they did, you might want to put it on. Just, just going to tell you, okay? Uh, remember, I had a week off. That makes it twice as bad. But, but this is pretty heavy, too, okay? So go ahead and buckle up and, and get that pen ready, okay? Look at Luke 14. Luke 14. A large crowd or large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down, estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays a foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not sit down, not first sit down, and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for the terms of peace. In the same way, anyone who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, it cannot be made salty again. It is either fit for soil, for the soil, nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. 
you're thinking, that's pretty heavy just reading it. Yes, it is, okay? Here's what's happening. This is a huge crowd at this point. I mean thousands in the crowd. Now, a lot of people will say when he said these words, he said them to all those who are called to preach or go to the mission field or the seminary students. No. He said this to the whole group. He didn't sort them. He said the whole group, okay? So basically, you got this big group. Now, we've seen the DTR talk, determine the relationship talk. We saw it at night with Nicodemus, okay? This is not there, okay? This is not at night. He said it to the crowd, remember, at the feeding of 5,000, but this is not this little crowd here. This is massive crowd, okay? And he is simply saying, we've got to determine the relationship here. You've got to hate your mother, father, sister, brother, even yourself, if you're going to follow me. Now, you're thinking, well, that, that's not very seeker-friendly. How are you going to grow a church? <laughs> How are you going to grow a church when you do that? I mean, it, God doesn't want us to hate. He's not saying hate like that. We, we have a definition of hate, and it's different than that. What he is saying, Jesus is simply saying, you've got to love me more, period. Because if you don't love me more than them, you can't, you can't do it. You won't do it. Things and places and people are going to take my place. He's saying you've got to love me more. Then your mother, your father, your son, your daughter, your sister, your brother, and even yourself if you're going to follow me and be my disciple. Okay? This is where we're at. Now, here's what we're going to do today. you got four questions. These four questions on the back of your outline are going to determine, what, as you answer them, they're going to reveal to you whether or not you have divided affection or divided devotion. Okay, here's the deal. The message is he is the only one or one of many. Mm. Is he the only one or one of many? And that's what we're going to determine today. And these four questions will reveal that. Now, here's the deal. You're probably, no, you're not going to like your answers. I didn't like mine. Because here's what I wanted to do. I wanted to write the answers like Jesus was sitting across from my desk. What I thought he wanted me to write down. But here's the deal. He knows my heart. And he doesn't care what I write down, does he? Because many times we know the answer to give to the person who asked the question. Folks, let me ask you to do something that will set you free. Do not answer this question like you want it to be answered, like you want people to answer them. You answer them honestly, and it'll set you free today, promise. Look at the first one. For what do you sacrifice your money? Now, understand, I know. I told you if we go, he's going to talk about money, all right? I don't talk about money a lot, and I'm not talking about your money here, and I'm not talking about First Baptist Church money. That's not the talk, okay? We're doing great because you're doing great, period. Okay, enough said of that, all right? This is not about that talk, okay? What do you sacrifice your money? Brett, pop that for me, buddy. Bible says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Why does he care where our money 
is and how we use it. Jesus talked about money so much, and he talked about it heavy every time, because money is his number one competition. You say, no, that's the enemy. Oh, no. The enemy is much more craftier than that, my friend. He's not going to just, he's not going to be the person out there. He's going to disguise himself as a dollar bill. He wants you to want so much money and get so much stuff that all that stuff keeps you from worship. And he wins. It's easy. He don't have to. He don't have to dance around in a little tail and guys a little pitchfork and poke you in the rear. He don't do any of that stuff. All right? He don't have to. He just has to make sure that you love money more and the stuff it gets you. You see, there's nothing wrong. Hear me. I, my family and I have a very nice home. I, and I, I'm ashamed to tell you that I got four vehicles and a three-car garage, and I'm outside. All right? It's just a season of our life right now, okay? But, but here's the deal. If it was gone, if I go home and it's flat, it won't change my worship. My friends, you, does your stuff own you or do you own your stuff? That's all I'm asking, and that's all Jesus is asking. He just wants to know what it is. Does it own you? Does it dictate you, or does God dictate you? Do you buy all that stuff, and then you have to cave out time or carve out time so that you can use your stuff because, honey, we financed it. At least we did. you got to use it. But if we use it so much and we sacrifice so much for the stuff we got, and, and God and Jesus did take a back seat. It's, something is out of order, my friends. He is simply saying, you cannot serve, love, worship both me and money. You can't do that. You just can't do it. You can't do it. There, there, I'm not there yet. We're not there as a, as a family. But but I know, I know some people, and, and this is big, but I, I know them personally, that their home budget is set up and their whole financial situation is set up to where their largest, largest check of the month is their tithe. It, it, it's bigger than their house payment. Their tithe is bigger than their visa bill. It's bigger than all of the bills each month. They give more in their tithe than they put in anything else. Now, some of y'all are thinking, I'm so far from that. I'm just not there. I'm not there. But I'm going to tell you, that's pretty incredible. I I, I, I meet with people sometimes, and and we we talk about giving and different things like that, just questions that come up. And, and, And... and I was, I was visiting with someone one time, and they said, you know, my wife and I are in a situation right now where we're trying to figure out how much house we can buy with the money, how, how big a house we can buy. And so that went on, and a year later, we, we, we find ourselves having another cup of coffee, and we're talking. And he says, Jeff, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. He said, do you, do you tithe off the gross or off the net? I said, well, it depends on how you want to be blessed. You want to be blessed off the gross? 
You're going to be bluffed off the net. <laughs> and that's about all I need to say. <laughs> that and he needed another cup of coffee, extra. And, and so I kind of left it at that. And so I thought about that because I've been there, okay? And I said, I wonder how that sounds to Jesus. I, I just want to picture that from the Father. I'm trying to figure out how much house we can buy and do you tithe off the gross or the net. Let me interpret for you for Jesus. How much house can I get and how little can I get away with giving to God? Mm. How How big can my house be but how little can my tithe be? That's how it sounds to him. He is saying, listen to me. If you're going to be a fan, that'd be fine. But if you want to be a follower, you've got to understand that money cannot own you. You've got to own it. It can't be your God. He must be your God. And my friends, I'm going to tell you, it is a nasty, subtle trap that the enemy has laid, and especially in America. Okay? Ask yourself, is my devotion, is my worship divided? Is it? Second question. When you hurt, where do you go for comfort? Mm. When you hurt, where do you go for comfort? Now, let me say it like this. When, when there's pain, what is your Band-Aid? Brett, pop that other one up. You got another one besides that? Nope, we'll go back. I'm sorry. You're good. Do they take the place of Jesus? Here's my question. When you're hurt, when you feel pain, let's say you have disappointment, job, family, uh, marriage, just hurt. Or somebody hurts you in a relationship. Where do you run first? To mom, dad, parents, a friend, Facebook, whatever? Or do you immediately run to Jesus. And here's why I ask that. We can have very divided affection. Jesus says, I have a plan for your life. I know tomorrow when you don't know tomorrow. So when you get hurt, when you feel pain, when you've experienced loss, when you experience a setback, where do you go? Where do you go? Do you go everywhere first and then say, hmm, maybe I ought to try Jesus? Or is that your first spot? My friends, many, many times for us, we go everywhere else but Jesus. But we'll be the first to say he is the great healer. He is the great physician. He is the friend like nobody else. He will never leave me nor forsake me. He knows me better than I know myself. He wants to hug me, embrace me, 
wipe my tears. But we don't go there. Now, there's nothing, hear me, don't, don't, don't hear what I'm not saying. Don't read a book I haven't written. I'm not saying when you hurt, ignore your mother. When you have pain, don't go to your spouse. When you're disappointed, don't go to friends. You need every bit of those people in your life. They are massive. Your mom, your parents, your dad, your spouse, your friends, you got to have them. There's no Lone Ranger stuff. But my deal is they cannot take the place of Jesus. That's all I'm saying. And I find so much in my counseling that we go to everything and everybody but him. But him. And my friends, we have divided, divided affection when we do that. He says you've got to hate your mother, father, sister, brother, even yourself if you're going to follow me. He says you've got to love me more than them. I'm not saying you've got to cut them off, cut them out. They're there for a reason. I'm not saying that. But many, many times we go other places before we go to the king. When what we really, really need is to be in his presence. Because the pain that we find ourselves in has been filtered through the hand of the king. And he wants you to experience it because he wants to reveal something about you that you would never get to see if you didn't go through it. My friends, we are a whole lot more like Jesus in pain than we are in victory. I promise you. When we are on the mantle, I mean, when we're on the, uh, uh, on the, on, on the block where he's, the, the anvil where he's working us over, we're more like Jesus then than any other time. But what I find from a lot of believers are they, 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 they get good friends around them and they have a good home, but when they go through pain, they don't go to Jesus. Who's going to interpret your pain for you better than Jesus? Nobody. Who's going to show you what he's trying to do in the hurt? Jesus. When someone hurts your feelings and disappoints you and lets you down, who do you need to go to? Jesus. Not to everybody else. There's nothing wrong with sharing that with friends, but let them be second because he said, I will not be second to anybody. I will not be. Go to the third one. What disappoints or frustrates you the most? This is really good. What disappoints or frustrates you the most? Brent, show that one for me, please. When you find those things have the power to determine who you are and what kind of day we have, it is very well may be evidence that something is more important than it should be. You got those things in your days? I mean, everything's going great until you get into town and the morons are all on the same street you're on. Come on. And then you don't even remember your quiet time. All right? All of them are on the same street. And when you want to get on I-40, all the rude truckers won't get over. Anybody else? When I go to Walmart, I always pick the wrong line. Always. Did you not, you go, did you not know you were going to Walmart? I mean, did you not know that? So why do you not have your credit card? Why do you not have your money out? 
I mean, can't you, like, put it on the tray? That's what they're there for. Let's get on down the road here. Don't wait for that person to leave to start, oh, I better unpack my groceries. No, you could have done that long before they got the, the cash out day, all right? Long before that, okay? Or you get the, the cashier that wants to tell you the live story, and you're like, I'll, just swap the butter, please. All right? Just swap my butter. But you got to find yourself, why am I in this line? You picked it. Or God picked it for you. Oh, well, that means he's sovereign, doesn't it? <laughs> well, he's either sovereign or he's not. He can't be every once in a while, okay? God's either setting you up or he's not God. Can I just tell you something? About 10, 8, 9, 10 years ago, 10 years ago I tried to look at things a whole lot different than I used to. Because I had this crazy thought that that big, crazy, awesome God is really that big and crazy and awesome. And that I find myself nowhere that he doesn't want me to be. Nowhere. There's no waiter, waitress, traffic, anything that I'm in by accident. None. That every bit of it is God. Every bit of it. Even when I think they're just morons, all right? They're God's little morons put in my life to see how I respond to the morons that he made, all right? And it's all reveals something about me. And I hope I'm not talking, I'm not calling y'all that. Y'all aren't that people, okay, all right? But I'm just saying, what frustrates you and disappoints you? We went fishing one time when I was a kid with my grandfather. Told you that story. We used to go all the time. And we're gone probably 10, 12 hours that day. We get back home, and, and there's a rule of my granddad when you go deep sea fishing, that when you get home, the first thing you want to do, you just want to go inside. And, you know, I know Mimi's been cooking. And she's ready to feed us, but she likes us to shower first, and I don't blame her. So I want to go shower, and then I want to eat with my Mimi. But my granddad does not allow... Not, not nicely. You do that. You got to hose down the boat, hose down the rod and reels, clean all the salt, get all the salt off everything, and then when it's all done, put back, ready to go the next day, you're, you're, you're allowed to go in. Now, my brother and my little cousin, he didn't do that very well, but that's a whole other story. So, so that's the rule. Now, that day, we didn't catch squat, and that's very unusual for my grandfather because he knows the Texas Gulf Coast like the back of his hand. We went everywhere, tried everything, and nothing worked. And we get home, and that Indian is not a happy camper. Griping the whole time. Stupid fish. I don't know what's wrong with you. Just griping, 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 griping. All right? Now, my grandmother pulls up beside him at the table and says, J.R., it ain't about the fish. And I mean, my brother put his fork down. I put my fork down. My cousin didn't know if he should, but since we did, he did. And we're all, like, staying right here to see if the chief is about to get the squall, okay? And so my grandfather just said nothing for a long time. And then he picked up his bread, and he bit a piece of bread, and he said, Anna Leah? Her name was Anna, and her middle name was Leah. He always called her Anna Leah. And he said, Anna Leah, you're right, and thank you. Now, that's a big word for an Indian, all right? You're right, and thank you. It's huge. That's like bringing me my horse, all right? I mean, it's a big word, okay? Now, here's the deal. My grandfather 
would love nothing more to take his grandkids fishing and produce thousands. So he looks good. But what was really the main thing there was not the fish. It was the eight to ten hours with my grandfather. We get stuff so messed up in life, man. We go to a football game with our kids, and what do we want? The team we go to watch to win. And if they don't win, we gripe. You know what our kids are thankful for? Six hours with you. No talk about work. What aggravates you? In my house on Sunday, it was the Cowboys. Fortunately, when I was growing up, they were good days. They're not too good today. All right? But my dad, we knew if it's a noon kickoff by 3 o'clock, if they ain't won, don't get around dad. All right? If it's a 3 o'clock kickoff after 6, stay away from dad. All right? And really stay away till probably about Wednesday when it wore off. Okay? But it all impacted him. I mean, he griped about the game, griped about the play calls, griped about this, griped about that. He was brutal to be around. Why? Because what? More importance was given to an area that shouldn't have been given that much importance. My friends, Jesus said, you can't love other stuff. you got to love me. I'm not going to share my throne. I'm either first or I'm not. See, here's, what happens is we lose perspective on what's really important. we got to remember to look at life and what life puts in front of us the way the king sees it. And that's hard to do. Because we, we really are little, little robots that want to program our life and our day. And anything that disrupts the program is seen as what? A moron. They're just stupid, messing me up. All right? And so that's, that's the attitude in which we approach that. So what if it takes me longer to do something than I plan it to take? That's okay, because what if it took me longer because he wanted to teach me something about myself in that, or wanted me to be around that person longer so that I would see them differently than I would have seen them? Because a lot of times in life, we see people as chess pieces on a chess table. We move them and around them long enough to get what we need and what they can do for them, and then we push them off. That is not how you treat God's people. They're not disposable items. They're king's kids, and they're there for a reason. So what frustrates you? Last one's this. I need to row because I'm taking too long. What is it that really it gets you excited? What is it that really gets you excited? There's a story of a little girl who walks in the living room about 2.30 on a Sunday afternoon, and her dad is actually having a fit in excitement over a football game jumping up and down he's knocked his popcorn over he's giving it he's just jumping the air he's jumping around i gotta be careful but but he's going nuts all right and the daughter looks at dad and says dad you're all right yeah honey you just should have seen that play we just wanted he's just giving everything and, and she walks off and she and he overhears her tell his wife i've never seen dad so excited so the next Sunday, worship begins. And so the little girl in the middle of worship walks back to dad and says, Dad, why are you not as excited now as you were at the football game? And walks back to her seat. Now you can call her by her name or you can call her Holy Spirit. 
because it hurt. <laughs> that hurt. What is it that makes you excited? Because I'm going to tell you, and I'm not trying to pick on people, they get excited at sports events, and I do too. I think there's only, I mean, when sports is not on TV, it, it's pretty much a dead day. I mean, you take sports off TV, and the TV's not good, okay? But I'm all about sports. But let me tell you something. The day I get more excited about a touchdown than somebody giving their life to Christ is the day my life is way out of balance, way out of balance. And if I can jump and shout and act like a fool at a football game, but I can't lift a hand to worship to a king who died for me when he didn't have to, my life's a mess. I mean, I'm, I'm warped, bud. I, I, I think I got it together, and I don't have anything together. My friends, what does it take to excite you? What do you get excited about? Jesus said, I will not share the throne of your heart with any other thing. Nothing. I'm either going to be first or I'm going to be nothing. I'm either all or nothing. See, a lot of times what we do is we have a heart and we have a throne of our heart. But instead of giving Jesus the throne, we give him a couch. And if he's a real good Jesus, we give him a throw pillow so he can lean against it. And we pop him some popcorn and give him a sweet tea. And while we take interchangeable parts of our lives that we were more excited about than Jesus, and we put them up on the throne, and it may be our job. Woo, love my job. Oh, it may be a new thing. Oh, my new thing. It may be all kind of things. But all of a sudden, we go to church, and we go, oh, whoa, 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 I'm going to church. I got to get Jesus off the couch. I got to put him on the throne because he's number one. My friend, that's goofy. You can't take Jesus off the throne and put him on the couch and wake him up when you go to church. He's either on the throne of your heart calling the shots, or he's nowhere. He's not going to share with you. He says, I'm a jealous God. I want all of you or none of you. I'm either your king and your only one, or I'm nothing. I'm not one of many. I am your only one. The only one. Only one. In Ezekiel 16, he says this to them. They're, they're worshiping a lot of false gods and putting a lot of things up on this uh, altar of the heart besides Jesus. And he says to them these words, You give gifts to all your lovers. Mm. Now, unfortunately, there may be some of you in here that have experience unfaithfulness in a marriage. That hurts. Hurts. Okay? Let me give you a, and this is just a made-up story. Totally made up. Let's just say that one evening you're in Amarillo, and you go out to eat, and you look over, and I'm sitting at a table with another lady who is not Melissa. And you can tell just by looking that I'm not doing any counseling and we're not buddies. It's a whole lot more than that. And you're absolutely infuriated. I mean, you're ticked off. And so you proceed to go over to the table because you want to inquire who that woman is. And I tell you this. Hey, man, don't worry. Melissa's still number one. She's still number one. And I mean, you're smoking mad. So you proceed to go and be the messenger to her. I want to tell you where I found Jeff. I want to tell you what he was doing. And I want to tell you what he said. Now, I get home. 
And Melissa says, how was your date? It was great. Just remember, baby, what I told you. You, you, can, you, you can go out to eat with other ladies, but I just want to make sure that you remember that I want to be number one. Oh, you always will be number one. Now, do you think that story falls that way? Let me, let me say something to you. If you ever find me like that, and you relay that back to Melissa, and I arrive back to my house, okay, you don't have to worry about what the church is going to do to me. All of y'all will be invited to my funeral because Melissa's about to put a flower on my head, okay? Literally, all right? Now, as crazy as that story sounds, isn't that what we do? Isn't that what we do? We take Jesus down, and we put him over here on the couch. You comfy? Okay, good. There's a pillar. Why don't you get comfy? Because I'm going to go over here, and I'm going to worship this other thing. But Jesus, here's the deal, though. You number one. You always will be. I promise. All right? I'll be right back. And so you go, and you bow down to money and sports and cars and homes and all kind of stuff. And you chase them. And the problem in life is, you better be careful what you chase. You might catch it. Might catch it. And then you want to come back over here. Hey, you want to get back on that throne? Preacher coming over for dinner. You're number one. So you put him back up there. Put all your scriptures on the wall and want to pray for the meal. You ain't never prayed before. But, but you write one out that you heard on TV at a movie. And you say it. Folks, come on. It's Jesus. He's not going to share the throne of your heart. And you can't even look at your wife and say, hey, I want to see some other people, but always remember, you're going to get the best Christmas gift, baby. They don't even have an anniversary. We do. No. Because when you said I do, you said to no one else. No one else. No one else. Last thing, I got to get to this. I know I'm keeping you, but I don't want you to miss this. Go, go back to Luke 14. We're going to preach till the fog lifts. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I don't, Dave's like, hey, dude, you may be here a while. Uh, uh, verse 28, I just, I don't want you to miss this. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down, estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays a foundation not unable to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish it. Real quick. We use this a lot, but we use it in the wrong spot. We use it when people build churches or build houses, and we say, what a fool, man. He ran out of money. <laughs> Look at that. Look at that foundation. You know why that thing don't have walls? He ran out of money. He didn't count the cost. That ain't where that applies. That scripture right there is all about salvation. It's all about salvation, man. Now, I, I, I want you to please hear this in love, and I mean this in love, but you got to hear this. There's some dangerous stuff that goes on in the church by some men that stand right where I stand. Mm, i got to be, <laughs> woo, all right. They'll get to an end of a message. And they'll say this, bow your heads, close your eyes. If you want to give your life to Christ, raise your hand. 
No one looking around. Just raise your hand. Good. When we get done with this prayer, I want you to come up to the front of the church. Now keep your eyes closed. Nobody looking around. I want you to come up to the front of the church. And you say, well, why, preacher, do you want me to come to the front of the church? Because Jesus never called anybody privately. He always called them publicly. So if you're not going to stand in front of Jesus now, you're not going to stand out there. Hmm. Can I say something to you? Why are you closing your head, closing your eyes and bowing, bowing your head and lifting your hands? You want to accept Jesus secretly out there and then come up here and stand? Why don't you just stand up right where you're at and say, I'm lost, I'm a mess, and I need Jesus. Why we do that? He says if you're going to build and you're going to lay a foundation, you better count the cost first because if you start something and you don't finish it, you're going to be ridiculed. My friends, Jesus is saying right here, you can follow me, but you better understand you can, it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you. It could cost you friends. It could cost you popularity. It could cost you a job. It could cost you a lot of things. If you want to follow me today, you don't bow your head and close your eyes, and when no one's looking, lift your hand up because you love Jesus. Man, you have guts enough to stand right there where you're at and say, I'm lost, and I need Jesus. My friends, if he's going to call you publicly, then you, you profess him publicly. And I'm not taking that away if that's how you did it. I'm not saying that. But I'm telling you right now, that trickery in a lot of churches is killing us. Because, my friends, Jesus never said to the disciples, now close your eyes and bow your head and step out of that boat and follow me. No. He just walked by and said, dude, you want to follow me? Drop your nets. Let's go. Drop them. Well, there's people looking. I know they're looking. You ain't seen nothing yet. And here's the deal. Now that you dropped your nets, and now that you've been with me for all these times, and you've seen all these miracles, and you saw this dog and pony show, here's the deal. If you're going to keep following me, you're going to have to hate your mom, hate your sister, hate your brother, hate your daddy, and hate yourself, and love me more than anything to follow me. My friends, I'm going to tell you something. If you don't think that's where we're at in this country, I don't have any idea where you think you're living. The days of closing your eyes and lifting your hand to be a Christian in America is over. You better stand up and you better say, I love Jesus and him alone. And he is first and I'm not going to share the throne in my heart. I love him. Because I'm telling you, if you're not willing to take a bullet for the king, you're not really ready to serve him and follow him. And if you think you can hide your Christianity and only put it on display when people are watching you, that you want them watching you, you're crazy. You're fooling yourself. Jesus warns you that he is the only one because he does not want to be one of many. He is not sharing the throne of your heart with anybody. So if you've got a couch in your life for Jesus and you sit him over there and you give him a pillow and you think he's happy right there, while you go out and serve other things, I'm going to tell you something. You're wrong. He's a mad, mad dude. He loves you, died for you, and has a plan for your life. He will, not, he will not be second to anybody else. And please, my friend, don't put anything in front of Jesus. The question today is, is he your only one or is Jesus one of many?
as the one in me. Let's pray. Father, this morning, your word can be a tough word. But as they say in sports sometimes, no pain, no gain. God, when you spoke this word, you didn't speak it to a select few. You spoke it to a crowd of people because you knew if they kept following you, they might find themselves on a cross next to you. And God, today you have called the church to follow you, not to be a fan. And God, today I pray that each of us answers the question once and for all. Is he the one and only? Or is he just one of many? Is our heart's devotion divided? Is our heart's affection divided? God, I pray that we take you off the couch of our heart and put you on the throne. You and you alone. And we bow to no one else and nothing else but Jesus. God, move us today. If there's a family here looking for a church home, Father, I pray you lead them here. Finding a church home is an incredible gift that you give us. A place that we call home. Father, I pray you lead them this morning. Maybe there's someone that sounded my voice that does not have a relationship with you. And this morning, they counted the cost, and they're ready to follow you, no matter what. But they come this morning as well. So, Father, during your invitation, you speak and you move us. In Jesus' name.